Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. All right, so we want to um, dive in here today. I've been talking about this series coming up that uh, I've been really looking forward to as we are in this together, this family, both individually and corporately, we're all on a journey, right? You're on a journey of discovery. Every one of you met Jesus at a different age. Um, Assuming everyone in here has met Jesus, if you haven't, Talk to us after, talk to me after. would love to lead you, to introduce you to, to him. But for all of us who have met the Lord, we're all on this journey together, this journey of discovery, of growing in our faith. That's one of the main reasons we exist as a fellowship is to grow people and one another in our faith, in our relationship with him, just like a parent. You know, all these kids that were up here, a parent's job is to grow them, to grow them, to feed them, to love them, and to make it so that when they're 18 or whenever, they can leave. They can be ready to take on and do what they're supposed to do and do the same for other little people that they're going to have. And the part of a church is to help grow people, to give you a, a safe environment, to feed you, and to connect you with Jesus so that we're all strengthened in him. And as we're doing this individually and together, We're looking for God's purposes to be done in our lives, that his will would be done in our lives. That's part of that growth is understanding, okay, it's not all about me. It's about his will. It's about his design. It's about his plan. So how do I align myself with what God wants me to do and what he desires in the earth? And so we explore all those things together. And then he's given us everything we need for success in this. Isn't that amazing? It's like God just set it up to our advantage. As he has a plan for us, he has a purpose for us individually, collectively, together, as a fellowship, and then his larger body of Christ, which is all around the world, millions of us, all in this family, he set it up for success for all of us in giving us everything. Well, the Bible says everything pertaining to life and godliness. But some of those things he's given to us, he's given us his word, To help us, we're going to talk more about that here shortly. He's given us his spirit to live within us and to help us change. And he's given us also, he's given us leaders. Uh, I would be one of those. There are many, many others. He's given us people, friends, spouses, and leaders to help sow into us things that are true, things that are right. So God has made a way for us to grow in him and to be free from deception, free from lies. In fact, one of the things when I read the the scriptures, particularly the New Testament and the writings of Paul, I see that he's dealing with over and over and over and over, he's dealing with deceptions, he's dealing with lies, and he's he's confrontational in many ways because he feels the weight of responsibility for the people that he's leading. And he wants them to be free in their minds. He wants them to be free in their hearts. He wants them to grow up into Jesus, which Paul said that. And so you see that he's dealing with falsities a lot. He's establishing truth, dealing with things that are false, 
And the, the word shepherd, interesting, when I think of a shepherd, and I think of a tool of a shepherd, I think of a, a staff or a rod. Of course, Psalm 23 speaks of that as well. You know, what a, what a shepherd does is they help snatch sheep if they're getting caught to bring them to safety, but they also use that thing to whack wolves, lions, coyotes, creatures that are trying to do harm to the sheep. They have a stick, and they're supposed to use that stick and whack stuff. Part of my job as a shepherd is to whack stuff. If there's a deception, if there's a lie, it's to deal with that straight on. That is part of our success is God establishing leaders to help lead us into truth. It's the way it works, right? So I know that's a part of what I do and many others here and around the world. We've got so many. So about five months ago, the Lord really put this topic, this title, um, this message in my heart. And so I've been working on this for, it's been ruminating inside of me and uh, percolating. This, what we're going to dive into together over the next four or five weeks or however long this is going to take. And um, I want to talk about truth. What it is, where it comes from, how we can know how to apply it, when do we apply it. I want to dive into some truth is uh, really the, the goal of these next several weeks. So if you will uh, buckle up with me, uh, I want to go after this and just see what the Lord shows us together. And I want to um, first start off with, uh, if we can go ahead and show this video clip. If you watch this movie, you've seen this before. What is truth? If you haven't seen that movie, has everyone seen this movie? Passion of the Christ. If, oh my goodness. If you have not watched this movie, I'm just going to say, it's, I think it's the greatest movie ever made. Uh, that's my personal opinion. It's brutal. It's very brutal. Um, I cried for a week. Even thinking about it, as he depicts really what Jesus went through, even though it probably didn't capture everything that Jesus went through. But it is so powerful. A great time to watch it is just before Easter as well. Uh, but anytime, uh, it will go all the way to the core. He did a great job, I think, in uh, almost word for word. He really used the, the book of Matthew when Mel Gibson did this. And it is, uh, it's powerful in, in the acting and everything they did. There's a lot I could talk about that. But in, in this, I think he depicts this very well of Pilate, who was a real Roman governor over Judea at the time of Jesus. Uh, it's historically proven as well, in addition to the Bible. And he asked Jesus the question, what is truth? And that question is still being asked today, 2,000 years later. What is truth? Of course, Pilate would be, uh, of course, he was a Roman, so he would have known about the Roman gods of Jupiter and Minerva and all those guys that he probably also knew weren't real but he was confused. He didn't, know, he didn't know the answer to that question. He didn't know that there was anything absolute or anything that was really true. Everything was gray and blurred. The lines were blurred, which is what the enemy does. He does that all the time. He, he blurs things. And when he asked Jesus that question, if you read the scripture, 
following that, he didn't wait for an answer. Even though he was speaking to truth, he didn't wait to listen for an answer. He immediately turned to the crowd and said, who do you want? And they said, Barabbas. And he, they, he gave him Barabbas and crucified Jesus, which often is what the world wants to do. It's what the world that's driven by the enemy, by the devil, is to kill, to crucify truth, to kill it. Don't listen for it, but let's just kill it. Let's do away with it. So then I won't have to be accountable to, to truth. So in searching out and talking about defining even some truth, it's helpful to understand maybe some things that truth isn't. What isn't truth? I want to give you a handful of things here. One is truth is not something based on emotion or feeling. This is a big one. Truth is not based on emotion or feeling. You can have emotions, the real emotions, but that doesn't make whatever you're emotional about true necessarily. It might be, but it may not be. So we cannot base truth on an emotion or a feeling. It's easy to get to react or get stirred emotionally about something, and that something may be a lie entirely. If someone tells you a lie about something that happened, you can get all emotional about it. And that thing may not have happened at all. I've had that happen in my life. Someone told me someone did something, and I can get emotional about it, and guess what? It wasn't true. So again, we can't rely on emotions related to that. But in our current culture, unfortunately, there's the mentality that there is your truth and my truth and not the truth. So truth is whatever you think or feel, whatever is your truth. Nothing objective, nothing absolute, nothing ultimate, no ultimate truth. And that's a big problem because there really is objective, real, genuine truth. And without that, we're a mess. I mean, if, if, if truth is just the shifting sand and it's yours and mine and whatever you think, and whatever, it is a disaster. You can't build anything on that. What you have is just collapsing everything because it just shifts all over the place. Another element of this is that if there's no objective truth, then the definition of all things is fluid. So whatever word you come up with, if there's no real truth, then that definition can just change with the wind. It's just fluid, and that's what we see happening. In fact, uh, an example of that, I would say, would be the word love, which we talk about a lot because it's a scriptural word. God is love. And you see the three kinds of love that come out in the scripture of eros and phileo and then agape. And they mean brotherly love and there's sensual, sexual type of love. There's that affection. But what the world has done is thrown away at least two of those. And now love means your agreement with my living, my behavior and what I think. Do you see that redefinition? Isn't that weird? So you throw away 
what is genuine, and now there's a redefinition of love that means if you love me, you're gonna agree with my opinion. You're gonna agree with whatever I think. And if you don't agree with me, then you're a hater. You're the opposite of love. Isn't that bizarre? So that's what's happened the last few years to one word. Without truth, then all, every word then can just shift into something, morph into something else. And it sometimes get used as a weapon then, which we've seen that. So that's just one example. Here's some other things that truth is not. It's not simply whatever works in a moment. Because something may work for a while that doesn't make it true. And truth is not simply what is understandable. A group of thieves can get together and form a conspiracy based on a set of falsehoods where they'll agree to the same false story. That doesn't make their presentation true. Right? You can get agreement on a lot of things that are based on lies. doesn't make something true. Truth is not what makes people feel good all the time. Sometimes it does, but not all the time. Sometimes truth hurts. Is that true? That is true, yes. My wife has said some things to me that were true that hurt, and I needed to hear them. The Lord has said some things to me. I have read some things in the scripture that hurt, and they were wonderful because they, are, they have freedom on the other side of it. But truth doesn't always feel good. Truth is not defined by what is intended. Good intentions can go wrong as well. Truth is not simply what is believed or experienced. A lie believed is still a lie. And truth is not what is publicly proved. You know, you can have this public agreement. You know, if 50 0.5% of the whole public agrees on one thing, that doesn't make it true, just because there's a majority in belief. Doesn't make it true. We can't assume that that then is true. The Greek word for truth is, I'm going to mispronounce these, I'm sure, aletheia, which literally means to unhide or to hide nothing. It's completely exposed, full light, shown on it. It conveys the thought that truth is always there, always open and available for all to see with nothing hidden. The Hebrew word for truth is emeth, which means firmness, constancy, and duration. This implies an everlasting substance and something that can be relied upon. It's everlasting. Stands the test of time. Where truth is not established, lies or falsities are believed, they're adhered, adhered to and will cause death harm in various ways. You know, I was, uh, I've done this before where I'm driving somewhere and I've got the, my map app going and it's telling me where to turn, left, right, straight, all that. Driving on a road and I was at one point and I think they had redone the road from the last time they did the maps because it was saying straight and the road took a curve. And there was no road straight. Had I listened to that truth, I would have wrecked my car. I needed to stay with what was really true <laughs> and not listen to 
that voice that was telling me to do something that wasn't, that wasn't right. There are a lot of things that are like that in the world. And the, and the enemy will, has a whisper as well. He will say things that aren't true all the time. It's what he does. Part of his job description. To the world, truth is shifting, unstable, fluid, yours, mine, whatever, whenever, what I feel, what you feel, all that's true, which isn't true. And in fact, there are many people, and it's good to just recognize this, many people like Pilate, they don't want to know truth. We have to just realize that. There are people, not only many who are deceived in thinking that something is true that isn't, but then there are, and I am, certainly all of us probably have an element of deception in some area of our life that doesn't make us all untrue. That means we're growing, we're seeking, and the Holy Spirit has opportunity to change us and to give, deliver his truth to us. But there are people who don't, aren't interested in truth at all, who want to kill truth, actually. Those who want to just avoid it, have nothing to do with it. Yesterday, I was, um, I needed to get an Uber. Uh, I was in Portland, Oregon yesterday, and uh, my dad's in the hospital, so I went to visit him this week. And uh, I was headed to the airport, and I grabbed this Uber, and this Guy, I get in the car with him, and he asked me what I do, which got us talking about church. And I just asked him, I said, uh, tell me your church story, your church experience. So he told me, he said he had gone to church, he grew up Baptist, and then he moved over to non-denominational, and, and now he said he doesn't do any of that, and now he's just spiritual. So I said, what does that mean? I didn't say it that way, but I said, what does that mean to you? <laughs> and so he began to tell me, what he believes now. And he starts talking about energy and that the whole world is made of energy and there are many gods. And I mean, he has totally abandoned what he had grown up in and had believed. And so um, through some more conversation, I said, so tell me, what do you do then with Jesus who says that he is the way and he loves you so much that he gave his life for you and he knows this. And he would not answer that question. He just said that, you know what? The most important thing is to just love people. That, that covers everything. I just need to love people, and I need to not judge someone else's belief that something is true or something isn't. So he just has stayed there, and he's thrown away Jesus all the way. So he has decided, this guy, to do away with Jesus, who said what he said, and I'm just going to go this way, and I'm going to believe everything. Whatever is whatever, and I, whatever you think is true, then that's great. Even if it's a lie, I don't care. I'm, I think that that's great. That is, many, many people are in that place in this world. Just having chosen to believe whatever, where there is no absolute, where everything is shifty, undefined, but really truth is real and we can know it. It's not shifting. It's not changing day to day. It's also witnessed by science, discoverable by seeking. Jesus said something that is, I don't know if it's my favorite passage in all the Bible, but it's close if not. John 14, 6, I am the way, 
the truth, the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That is one of the most bold statements that was ever said ever on this planet was that one right there. And the most true. Jesus is saying something that is, will change everything. There is a way to live and he is it. There is truth and he embodies it. And there is life and he has it. It's him. Jesus is the way, he is truth and he is life. Pilate didn't hear him say that to my knowledge. He should have waited around for that answer. But he didn't. You hear me say often that God is love. He doesn't just have some. Well, Jesus is truth. He doesn't just have some either. He doesn't just have some truth to share. Oh, it would be great to add some of the things that Jesus says to my life. Yeah, that'd be good. He was a good guy. It's not that. It is earth-shaking. Jesus is truth. He's the foundation of it, and he is it. He embodies truth. If we want to know truth, guess what? There's only one way, and it's to know him. It says in the scriptures that he holds all things together, everything in the universe held together by Jesus, by the truth, who he is, amazing to me. That scripture I could just think on for a long time and just be in wonder and awe, and it's so simple and beautiful. Uh, one of the things the Lord um, helped convict me of, I would say, or change me, instead of arguing with people from other religions, especially those that are sh shoot-offs from what is real, is to use this, just talk about this. Just this simplicity of Jesus. Jesus being truth. Jesus being the way. Jesus being life. Man, those are all, you need all those. And it's in him. And only God has the credentials and the authority to make a statement like that. Of course, Jesus is God. Unlike anyone who's ever lived, Jesus allows all who listen to him to know that he himself is truth and that we can find truth in him. And when he says something is true, it is. When he does something, it's true. When he promises something, it's true. When we read these words in red in our Bible, they're true, even if we don't like them. Even if we don't like them, they're true. So before truth was information, truth is a person. It's Jesus. And then here's something that Jesus said just a few verses after he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Drop down just a few verses. And Jesus says this. I will ask the Father, John 14, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Goodness. So now we have Jesus who is truth, giving us the spirit of truth. So there's truth that is natural, that is seen, that is touched, that is felt, that is heard. 
And then there's truth that is spiritual. And both of those are God. Jesus and the Spirit. And then Jesus says, this Spirit of truth will move on the inside of you if you know me. If we know Jesus, unlike the world does, we have access to something, obviously, that they don't have. And that's, here's the first thing, is this. The Spirit of truth then moves onto the inside of you. So we follow Jesus, who's truth, and then his Spirit, as we allow, invades our space all of who we are, and now we have truth living on the inside of us. That's remarkable. That is beautiful. That is trustworthy. Jesus' word, so that we can depend on the one who lives inside of us. Him, not depending on our own everything that we are, but on he who lives in us. And Jesus goes on to explain to his disciples that the Holy Spirit, he'll reveal things to you. He'll reveal other truths to you as the spirit of truth. He's going to bring the word out and explain that, but he helps in every way. Truth can come out in everything because of him who lives inside of us. And if there's truth and the spirit of truth, here's what we also know. There is a liar and there's the God or the father of lies, as Jesus calls him. There's the opposite. And Jesus exposes him thoroughly. And we see this through the word as well, through the Old Testament and the New, that life is a war. I don't know if you realize that. Life is a war. And it's a war of these two things, truth and lies. And from the very beginning, the enemy started his assault with lies. On the first couple, to get them to He's just twisting things, twisting things, what he does. If he can't deceive entirely with a complete untruth, he's going to take some truth and twist it. And he does this effectively. And he starts twisting things with Eve to make her believe that God did not have the best in his heart for them. And so she was going to have to do things on her own to make sure she was going to be okay or to learn things, or to grow in things. That was a lie. So the enemy, we have to recognize always, his job description, according to Jesus, these are other words of Jesus, is to kill, to steal, and destroy, to accuse you and I daily. Night and day, not just daily, night and day. Do you realize that? There are accusations from the enemy. In the air, before the Father, in the air, towards your friend, about you, constant accusation. It's what he does. Because accusations are lies. He's the father of lies. He's a swarm of flies that just sends lies all the time. Constantly lying. Hoping that you'll listen to one. Hopefully, hoping that one of those will land. Especially when it comes to doubting God. Especially when it comes to doubting in any way related to the Lord and his scriptures and what he says or his promises. He's hoping those things will land. He's the father of lies. He's just constantly doing this. So we have to be aware, knowing that there is clear, ultimate truth, but there is a war going on and a battle of lies coming at everything. And so it's our job to hold on to truth. Not just hold on to it. We'll be talking about over the next few weeks, uh, what do we do with this truth that we have as well? It's all of that. 
But there is a spiritual dimension to truth in addition to natural dimensions of truth. Touches everything. And then we have this part that I mentioned earlier to help us with our success. And that doesn't mean just success to become a millionaire or something like that, but success in fulfilling our purpose on the earth, his will. That's true success. And that part is, are the scriptures that he's given to us, the word of God that we have been given. In fact, this is what I've been quoting here when I'm talking about Jesus being truth. So then how do we know, let's go back further then, how do we know that these scriptures can be trusted? If that's the one that I'm referring to, talking about truth, talking about the words of Jesus, well, these are all writings from different people about what Jesus said. So how do we know that the scriptures are true? So you have to go back and dive into that. I'm sure many of you have done that in your life, dove into how do I know that this Bible is accurate and true? How can it be trusted? Let me mention just a few things as we have time, and then we'll just continue on next week. But, you know, there are a lot of books in the world. There are a lot of books in the world. Some very old, some new. But how do we place all the weight, our weight of belief on when we're looking at Jesus as what he said in this, what he said about the Holy Spirit, how do we know that these scriptures are true? First off, there's always gonna be some element of faith related to the things of God, but he has given us an amazing amount of things that are even on the scientific side, archeological side, discovery side, to prove out that these scriptures are true. The Bible, of course, is a compilation of history, encouragements, promises, stories, poems, songs, prophecies, directions for us in just under 783,000 words in three different languages. Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Written over a 1,500-year period of time with 40 different authors preserved miraculously through the centuries. Canonized in the 4th century, by some incredible people. One of them was Athanasius. And most of these people, if not all, that canonized the scripture and were praying about which books were supposed to be a part of this canon of scripture were men who had been through severe persecution. Severe persecution. Some had their eyes missing, big scars across their body, having been persecuted for, there was a a long degree of persecution and for most of their lives. And these scriptures You know, the first writer that we have in it is Moses, writing down, capturing some of what God shared with him from his mountaintop experiences and non-mountaintop experiences, but 40 days at a time with God, with God. Personally, as God's telling him things, Moses would write them down. He wrote the first five books of the Bible, we call the Torah, the Pentateuch. Of course, there have been people who would try to discredit that, saying, no, uh, that could not be because there was no written language at that time. But then in 1901, we discovered, I say we, the Black Steely was discovered in 1901. Here's what it showed is that there were writings 300 years before Moses. So we know that there was written language by the time Moses came on the scene. And then we have archaeological discoveries like crazy from things from the Bible. I mean, I have subscribed for years to this magazine, Biblical Archaeology. 
and have, you read these discoveries and they happen all the time. You can see them in the news, all, still they're happening. Where they find these places that the Bible describes that we didn't know existed. And there's another one. And then there's this. And there's, you find these names of the people listed in the Bible and places and, uh, I mean, places like Jericho with these walls that had crumbled. And Sodom and Gomorrah, which was burnt up. Everything's burnt around there. It's like you find all these things that agree with, with the scriptures. Uh, here's some fun ones that um, I think about often. One is Psalm 8. The writer talks about their pathways in the sea. And it wasn't for thousands of years before we discovered that there are actually ocean currents and pathways of these ocean currents. You can see them on a map now. You can Google that easily now. And there you see it. Well, the Bible talked about that a long time before that was discovered. In Isaiah 40, I think it's verse 22, it talks about the earth being round. Well, it took a long time. We thought the earth was flat for a long, long time. Had we read that passage or Proverbs 8.27 that says that the earth was round? This is these things that are things the Bible's jam-packed with these kind of discoveries. And then the Lord had David in the beginning with the Levites document, write down the history and the things that he had um, written down to document them, to copy them so carefully. And they did that. They were tasked with this meticulous scribes. They became scribes later on. And they had a whole system for copying the scripture. It would take them around a year and a half to make one copy of the Old Testament. Imagine that. A year and a half work to make one copy. Every little detail. And then they would test it to make sure that it was accurate. They had like eight or nine different tests that they would do on the scripture over and over. And if it didn't work, throw it away. All this work. A year and a half to make one copy. They were, they were meticulous. I'm thankful. So they kept writing those down, the stories. Then we've got people like story of Phoebe, which is fast forward in the New Testament. Paul would write his letters and send them by her hand, and she would go undercover and travel hundreds of miles to deliver these letters, like to the Romans, the book of Romans, delivered by Phoebe. And then they held on to that as, pri as a prize, and then making copies of that letter. There are, there's a saying that says, for every story we know a little about, there are thousands of others we know nothing about related to the scribes and those who, are, who carefully took down and made copies of that which was spoken by God to people. From the first to the fourth century AD, from the stoning of Stephen on, that's when the persecution started, 250 years of horrific persecution. And during that time, the emperors demanded all scriptures burned more than once, fed the Christians to lions in the Colosseum, Burned many people. The scriptures had to go hidden underground. People hid them all of the time. And you see that shift from that time from persecution and then Constantine comes on the scene and it goes from to really control, from persecution to control, where they're controlling the scriptures. And you see that for the next thousand years or so, what we call the dark ages. Had to be in Latin. Only the priests could use it, all those things. The word still survived. Of course, fast forward here, you've got John Wycliffe translating it from Latin into English for the first time in the 13, which 
you know, 1300s, kind of the beginning of that, William Tyndale, Martin Luther, translating into German and English. And then, of course, what I would call, they call it the greatest discovery of the 20th century. It may be the greatest discovery of a thousand years. Is in 1947, just months before, months before the nation of Israel was established again, which was prophesied in Zechariah, by the way, a little shepherd boy threw a rock in a cave and heard a crash. And it was a pot. And they found in 11 different caves all of these pots full of ancient writings, which happened to be the Bible that had been hidden during a persecution. They hid these in 11 different caves. In total, there were thousands of fragments of the scriptures. When they put them all together, every book but the book of Esther was in there in the Old Testament. Every book but the book of Esther. And there are multiple, multiple copies of all the other books. And they agreed with the, the, the oldest manuscript we had at that point was around AD 900. And some of these were BC 300 age. So it went a thousand years plus, went back and 95, excuse me, 99.5% accurate to what we had a thousand years later. That's because there were this meticulousness of the scribes and the copying procedures and all that. So this preservation just kept going on and on. It was an incredible discovery. We have over 5,800 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. You know, the best, uh, another copy of, or other writings of the time in the early first, second, third century, we might have 100 or 200 copies at the most. Of the Bible, we have 5,800 transcripts. And in those, they don't disagree. There might be very small things, usually spelling and grammatical type of things but they all agree. So the Lord has taken great pains through time with so many people from Levites to scribes to the Essenes to establish and then keep and preserve the words that he gave man and women over time for us today. Psalm 119, 160 says, the sum of your word is truth. The sum of your word is truth. We've got Jesus who is the truth, the spirit of truth who lives on the inside of us now. And then we have the scriptures and together the sum of it is truth. That's why I always encourage people not to take one passage and pull it out and create a doctrine on that passage. Because the sum of the word is truth. You wanna make sure, as the Bible says, two or three agree. Making sure that two or three passages are agree before you create a doctrine on something. A lot of groups that just use one, and there could be a lot of problems. You can create a lot of stuff. John 8, 31, let me end with this. John 8, 31, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, the teachings of Jesus, then you will truly be disciples of mine. And then verse 32 is the famous verse that everybody in here knows. And most of the world has heard this verse. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. That is quoted a lot. I've heard Oprah quote this. And you will know the truth, and truth will make you free. But guess what? The first part is not usually ever included. 
if you continue in my word, then you are truly a disciple of mine. Then you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. There's a continuation of us in the word of God, following Jesus, having his spirit, then we know the truth as we're in this word and that truth sets us free. When, when something is read, when something is confirmed by the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of you, and all of a sudden it's like blinders come off like it did for Paul. And you see it and you're like, oh my goodness, yes. And then we can change the way that we live and we are free. We're not bound to whatever that thing is that we were feeling before, seeing before, the way that we were living before. Not bound by anything. Jesus, his spirit, his word or is truth and sets us free. So we're gonna continue with this next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.